wow. Um, what an honor to be here. Uh, so many familiar faces that I've seen over the years. Um, I was emotional when I came into my car and stepped out here because <clears throat> NCS had a lot to do with my journey too. A lot of you guys over here um, believed in Collide and the dream. A lot of you guys were there. Um, Tom, you promoted it. <laughs> uh, so many Brian's. I just want to say thank you. Um, today I know our time is limited. I'm going to start out a little with my own personal story um, and share something uh, that God is really doing in my heart right now. You know, two days ago, I was really had a script and everything prepared. <laughs> And I had this message that uh, I wanted to share about grace. And as I was sitting in my prayer closet, you know, um, God started talking to me about what's really happening in my life. <clears throat> and then, so what I'm going to share today is a little unformed. I try to write it down so that I can be more formed. Uh, so bear with me as I share a little about um, pursuing the American dream. And today, what I'm going to share about is really the greatest risk to all men. The greatest risk to all men. Uh, my story was shared a little here. 17 years of my life, I was born and brought up in Calcutta, India. I tell my son all this all the time so he can repeat this, but for 17 years of my life, I slept on the floor and uh, lived in a 500 square foot apartment. And uh, even though my family was relatively well compared to everybody around us, um, I had seen poverty very closely. Um, you know, 17 years, I came to America here, ended up washing dishes for three years. Um, I used that as an excuse for my wife till today that I hate dishes because I wash dishes for three years. <laughs> Doesn't fly. Um, it was critical years because God met me where I was. I gave my life to him when I was 18, a year after I came here um, to America. You know, um, when I told my dad, when my dad first told me, uh, my dad just passed away a year and a half ago, he was a pastor. Um, when, I, when he told me like, you should go to America, I said, why? He said these words, um, it's the American dream. He said, you could become whoever you want to be. Um, there's a lot that happened in my life between those three years of washing dishes to two weeks ago when I was on a plane ride to Gainesville. You know, in the between there, I met a beautiful girl, fell in love with her. I love my wife Anne. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary together. She's my biggest mentor, my greatest coach, and my best friend. Um, we had two boys, um, and my son Joshua. A lot of you guys were involved in his journey. I was born with half the heart. We went, Anne and I, went through six years of um, praying every day that our son would make it. Um, he went through three open heart surgeries and nine interventions, and God had his hand on Joshua. Joshua is about to turn nine years old. Um, so somewhere in the middle there, between 17 years old and 45, and I was on a plane ride two weeks ago. And I was sitting at 11 o'clock, and I was flying to Gainesville, um, Florida. And I was sitting next to Murray, who was the CEO of another healthcare company. And I was like dozy, sleeping off. 
And then when I woke up, finally said hello to her and started talking. And I kind of started sharing with her. She said, tell me what's going on in your life. I was like, wow, that's a strange question. <laughs> and so I kind of opened up to her. I don't even know her, but I opened up to her. I told her that, um, I told her that, you know, I'm, I just turned 45 years old. And I told her, I think for the first time in my life, I don't know where everything is going. I feel for the first time in my life, there's so much uncertainty. That it, I, I don't know whether I have plans or don't have plans. And I sat through her going back and forth. I told her for like 10, 15 minutes, she looked at me, and she said these words to me. She said, Jinu, I hate to break it to you, but that's called midlife crisis. <laughs> you know, I laughed it off. I went to the hotel room. And over the last two weeks, God has been speaking something to me. Uh, Andy Stanley has spoken a message that I'm actually going to borrow a little from today. But that hit me really hard as I started looking for what I want to share with you guys today. The greatest risk uh, to all men. I'm going to break it up in three halves. Just the problem, the struggle, all of that reflecting me. And maybe some of you sitting here today. A Bible story of a person who went through the same struggle, uh, and then quickly, how can we overcome it? Uh, I want to be done in 20 minutes, so hit me with something. Well, I'll hit me with myself in 10 minutes. Um, talking about the American dream, guys, the ability to do what you want, when you want it, with whomever you want, and of course have the money to pay for it. Honestly, I hope all of our dreams here come to life. But in the pursuit of that dream, the successful dream, there is just one big risk to all men. And that one thing that sometimes we all have in common, but we kind of overlook it. Um, it's not unique to us men. It also happens to women. But successful women have handled it way better than men. It's this unspoken, unrecognized component in our quest, the word is autonomy. Autonomy. There's something in most of us that wants to be self-governing. <coughs> After all, it's an American dream. It's a definition of what American dream is, right? It's what you want, when you want it, with whomever you want to do it, and have the money to pay for it. That is the American dream. And we have all, in some ways, been fueled by it. Partly because you've seen it, in the corporate culture, in the church culture. Uh, it's hard to unsee it anymore. We almost uh, view our role models in these spaces as people that are completely autonomous. And for some reason, um, they appear to be unfettered by the challenges of life and financial constraints and even relational constraints that some of us feel. Some of you probably grew up with it. And I put myself in that category. You grew up in a home where money was always tight. You saw the struggle. And you promised yourself that, you know what? I'm going to do everything possible. Everything possible to not have that struggle again. The thought of returning to that, of putting your family through it, is terrifying and motivating for you to pursue that dream. But here's the assumption that's woven into all of this. 
The assumption is this. I can handle it. I can handle it, right? If you ever got there, you tell yourself, you'll be ready. This is the reason why we are so baffled, today especially, in the last two years, I think so, by stories of successful men that we viewed as successful. They turn around and make these decisions at the peak of their legacy and undermine the success and everything that they worked hard for. It's called autonomy. I want to speak to you guys a little about what God has been speaking to me about. Men who become their own worst enemy after they have accomplished so much, work so hard, even for the kingdom of God, and they have acquired so much. But here's what we think, not me. I can handle it. Good times. That's not my story. That's not, that's not my legacy. But I can handle it. In other words, here's what we tell ourselves. Once I get to call all my shots, my own shots, I'll call all the right shots. It won't happen to us. I can handle it. But here's the thing. For some of us, it doesn't come fast enough or big enough. It, when it looks like it's not going to happen at all for us, we start developing something I call in myself as a low-grade anger. A low-grade anger. <clears throat> anger that simmers just underneath the surface. We are constantly frustrated with just about everything and everybody. And it usually happens somewhere around 40 to 55 years in that range. This thought, like, I'm not there yet. I'm not even close to being there. I don't even know, honestly, here in this room, what there is. But we're all going towards something. We feel like we are striving. And here's the worst part of it all when we go through this place. On the top, that we don't recognize the source. Men, especially, are not connected to the emotional senses that strongly. So we struggle with this. But even worse, we set our sights on the wrong sources. Why am I so angry? Why am I so frustrated? You set your eyes on the wrong sources, and usually those sources happen to be people in your life. If you're not happy with your wife, your car, your kids, your career, where you are today, it might be just might be that you are not happy with you. And the only way to move past that frustration is to recognize it. When we are confused about the source of our disappointment, our constant frustration, this low grade anger that hangs around all the time, this is what men do. We drive even faster. We feel like that's the way to solve it. So we drive faster and usually in the wrong direction. <clears throat> you guys know Don Henley, he wrote a lot of songs and sang a lot of songs. One of the songs, he, this is the lyrics he says, he had a home, the love of a girl, but men get lost sometimes. As years unfold, one day he crossed some line and he was too much in this world, but I guess that doesn't matter anymore. In a New York minute, 
In a New York minute, everything can change. In a New York minute, things can get pretty strange. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you stood at the edge of it. And I confess to you today that I am in the midst of it. Perhaps you're there right now. Maybe what I'm saying is resonating and the Holy Spirit is talking to you today. And now this all seems to be just like, he's talking to me. There's a fine line between free as free can be and prison. There's a fine line between free as free can be and addiction. A hole that we cannot climb out of on our own. Truth be told, the quest of autonomy is dangerous because it is an appetite we can never fill or satisfy. It's a thirst that we cannot quench. <coughs> when you feed an appetite, it doesn't shrink it, usually grows it. The more we get, the more we want. The autonomy that we are seeking. Because autonomy is power. And the more we have of that power, freedom, the more we crave it. And power is usually intoxicating. And here's the thing. Intoxicated people usually make wrong decisions. They do not listen to their friends or their brothers. They typically find themselves surrounded by yes people. Whether it's work, whether it's family, and we don't have the courage, or your friends don't have the courage, to tell you, hey, could you rethink that decision? And as you'll see in the story from the Bible that I'm going to share, as I step into the story, you might not have friends around you that could say that. You kept them away. In the quest for autonomy, relationships become a means to an end. Everyone is a potential customer. Everyone is a potential client, and everyone is a potential contact. Because you're driving fast. <clears throat> Success only makes it worse. When we accidentally or purpose purposefully embrace this misguided approach to success and masculinity as men, we end up being frustrated, disappointed, angry, don't know what to do with ourselves. There's a story in the Bible, and I'm going to, because of time, like run through it. You guys all know the story. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11. It's the story of David, the second king of Israel. David was around 50 years old now, when he finds himself on the roof of his palace. He's been there like 20 years. David is a man's man, man. He fought the war. He fought really hard. He was a warrior. He, around the age of 50, already had a legacy. He had wives and concubines, as it was during those days. Great power, great wealth, great legacy. Everything is going well for David. So you might think. He was 50, and it seemed like he was not satisfied. You guys know the story. I'm going to skip through it really fast. He, he finds himself on this roof of the palace, and he sees a beautiful woman <clears throat> taking shower. And you guys know what happens in the story of Bathsheba. 
as you read through that chapter, if you can, go ahead, go ahead home and read that whole story. It's a very powerful story. It talks about how he, uh, he asked his uh, commander to go check out who she was. The commander comes back to him, and the commander tries to stop David, if you read the story. He says, she's Bathsheba, the daughter and the wife. In some ways, he's trying to tell him, stop, David. But you know what powerful people do? They chase into things that they can't control. They ride, ride over things. So did David. He said, nope, go bring her. You guys know the story. They slept together probably not once, many times. And the story goes on to say about a husband, Uriah, who comes home. You guys know that she was pregnant. The first attempt of David, you guys know the story, is to cover it up. How would he cover it up? He would ask her husband to come home and make love to her, and they wouldn't know that that kid. So David tries to control the situation. And he fails, because Uriah was an honorable man. He knew that his friends and his brothers were struggling and fighting somewhere, and he told David, oh king, there's no way I'm going to go home and enjoy the fruits of what is at home and make love to my wife and all those things. I can't do that. He literally says those words. Tell me. The Bible. And Uriah was an honorable man. And David tries to get him drunk and get home and with all his attempt to control him, these powerful people try to control the outcome. And the story goes on that finally David had it and he turned towards the dishonorable. Which was to set him up for Uriah be killed in the battle. You guys know the story. He told his Joab, his guy, that hey, when you're fighting, just run away, back off from Uriah. So he gets killed. And he gets killed. And here's what the Bible says the Lord was displeased with David. I tell you that story to go back to that one decision that David made. Uh, and I'm going to ask somebody to read 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, if that's okay. Um, you guys know the legacy story of David after that point. His son comes to battle against him. His other son sleeps with his other sister. There's fighting going on. David runs out from the whole story. Do you guys, here's my question to you. Do you remember the story of David after this point in history? I would likely like to tell you that you probably don't remember most of his story. His legacy in the second half is not exactly how the story started. Let me read, um, I'll read Second uh, Samuel 11 verse 1. The root of the story is found here. In the spring, at the time when kings go to war, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab and his buddies that fought with him in the grave. He was with them. He told them, I'm not coming. You guys go fight the war. They destroyed the... Uh, David It actually clearly says in verse 1, David remained in Jerusalem. David sends off his sword brothers to fight. The men who knew him best the men who rose to power with him, the men that slept in the caves with him, 
He shunned all of them. Why? Because he was a powerful king. And he had the autonomy to do whatever he wanted. David remained in Israel. Here's the thing. Alone and isolated from his group of brothers who went off to war. It says all of them went off to war, even Joab. David got into trouble when he was isolated from the community of men to him, whom he was most accessible. David did not have anybody around him to stop him at that point. But that's what autonomy does to us. Let me end. I want to end here because I know I'm messing up all the slide flow here. But let me end because I want you guys to I came up with some questions to have this discussion in your groups more than what I'm sharing here. If, here's the thing, guys. The last words that I want to share. It's the last slide. You can put it up. Um, here we go. Takeaway. Four takeaways plus one. Autonomy is a myth. It's a trap. It's an unworthy goal. Autonomy is an appetite that you can never fill the thirst that you can never quench. Resist the isolation and autonomy that comes with success. Success in and itself is not a bad thing. It's when you're isolated and autonomy and that power of autonomy comes to you, whether you start thinking I can do whatever I want because I have been successful, I have reached where I'm supposed to reach, so guess what? Here's the thing that is dear, near and dear to what I want to say, the last one. Give your brothers here. Give your brothers at NCS full access to you. Guys, if you don't have brothers around you that are checking into you, that, can I be very honest, that is the first sign that there's something wrong. If you don't have a band of brothers, brothers in NCS, somebody that could check into you every week or every other week and say, how are you doing? Or you are not bouncing your decisions off, that is the first sign. Remember David was alone on that roof and isolated. When that one decision that he made changed his life. After everything he had done, my last words in the springtime when kings go their way to war suit up be with them go with them don't be alone and don't be isolated survive thrive because I want all of us to be really successful, and many of us are or feel that you are successful in this space. Survive, thrive, leave a legacy for your wives and your kids that is worth telling. That's all I had. Um, uh, as I shared with you guys, um,
this is a good forum, guys. You, I, I just feel in my spirit, Paulus. You're not here on accident. You're here with purpose. If you have been feeling like this is something that you have been struggling with, can I be honest with you? As we work through this, we have uh, worked through the questions here. We have some time to discuss. If you have been feeling that this is me, share with your brothers on your table. Be open and tell them I'm struggling. I feel like everything that he talked about, the low-grade anger, the frustration that I feel, there's something there. Can you brothers pray for me? Be open on the table. So as you go through these questions, these questions are pretty straightforward. On a scale of 1 to 10, how isolated are you? How connected are you? Is there anyone in your life that knows you completely other than your wife? I'm talking about brothers in your life. How difficult is it to let people know the real you? As you walk through these five questions, take some time if you have pens and share among each other. My heart's desire today, guys, as I walk away from here, is that our legacies and what we leave behind would be God-honoring and devil would not come and steal it. Don't find yourself somewhere in an island, isolated. Have somebody next to you that speaks life into you. And let the Lord have and write your story so you can thrive. Especially, remember when I talked to you about the source of your frustration? It's not your wife. It's not your kids. In some ways, it is really God doing a work in my heart. And so I ask you guys openly today as we discuss these things, just open up your heart. Thank you. Thank you.